0: The Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports.
1: Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. Sports will be back, and when it comes back, it's going to be back in a big way. There's going to be quite a revelation when things come back into the fold and we're able to watch and relate and have transactions in a lot of these sports. I mean, the NFL and the WNBA are really the only things going right now. We had a couple of. Pretty sizable WNBA trade city, by the way. If you haven't, visit theathletic.com for that. I'm sure they're all over it because uh, they cover everything from small sports to big sports to local sports, podcasts, all the fantasy stuff. There's just tons there. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off now. My name is Mike Giannetti. We are going to be joined today by a very special guest, big supporter of the site, uh, just a great guy to get to know over the past couple of years. Really happy to have him on for the first time. His nickname is Hembo. His real name is Paul Hembakides. He is the producer for ESPN's Get Up. He was originally with Mike and Mike. He followed Mike Greeny, great Greeny Greenberg over to Get Up, and uh, he's been cranking along ever since. He's been there about six years at ESPN. He's done a ton of work, big baseball guy. He's been on with Buster only a lot. He's the trivia guy. He's the stats guy. He's the data guy. He's on air a bunch with, the, with all these shows. He's a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades and uh, we love him for it. So really happy to be joined by him. And uh, we're going to have Scott Allen on as well to sort of have a roundtable discussion about a bunch of things. We're going to talk some running backs, some draft, some Tua, some baseball payrolls. Real wide, uh, a wide scope here of what we're going to get into with Paul. But really happy to have him on. And I think we'll have him back many more times after this. Enjoy my conversation with Hembo. I'm really excited about this. Our guest today is... Paul Humbikidis from ESPN. He's been there about, boy, seven years. Is it six, seven years now? We're going to have to ask him about this. Six, seven years now. Joined by Scott Allen as well from SpotTrack. Paul, thanks for joining the show. How long has it been?
0: It has been. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm a, a huge fan uh, of your site, as you well know. I have been at ESPN since 2014. Um, so, yeah, so it'll be uh, six years coming up here. Um and 2020 certainly has been the most unique year uh, since I have joined the company. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, let's talk. Let's, I guess let's go right into it. Um, how's life as a producer for a TV slash radio slash podcast, whatever you're doing right now? Um, it's it's off. It's happened to has changed a lot. Give us the breakdown. What's life? Are you in the studio? Or are you doing things remotely? What's the What's the game plan right now?
0: I am a part of the majority of uh, our show crew on GetUp that is working exclusively remotely. So we all have the laptops, we're all working from home, and there's only a handful of, you know, what we define as, you know, essential personnel that's in the studio. Greeny's up in Bristol with no more than a handful of people that really have to be there. So our operation is almost completely remote. And it it is, I mean, bizarre to say the least. So um, as you guys probably know, our studio is, um, regularly are in Lower Manhattan, right. which is obviously at the epicenter of all this stuff, and that's where I live. So about a month ago, my wife and I, with like, like a you know, like literally just one suitcase each, like fled the city, like we were the you know, like we were the Von Trapp family at the end of Sound of Music, <laughs> and just left. Right. So I'm I'm going from you know the in-laws in Jersey to my family's uh, in suburban Philadelphia, back and forth, living in the basements and whatnot, just trying to make it work. And it's it's bizarre to say the least to be. Here, uh, you know, going back and forth with our talent and, you know, doing my trivia and all the texting onto the screen and all that while my you know, mother-in-law's tripping over me while she's doing her laundry. Um, so that's, that's sort of the, the long and the short of it. But it is like at the beginning it was, you know, bizarre, but now it's just sort of life as normal. And I'm guessing that it's going to proceed this way for at least a couple more months.
1: I feel like that was cathartic for you. You had to get that out.
0: Yeah, yeah that was that was the therapy like um when i look back in a few months as like what we actually did during this time i'm gonna it's gonna hardly believe that that was my life for a while so
1: yeah i mean the ship seemed to be running pretty smoothly before this right i mean you the you know rough out of the get-go every new show is going to have their bumps and uh it seems like you took a couple of lumps there as well but it, it was running pretty smooth on get up and, and everything was cranked up and then this is this has got to be a, a, tough for everybody right i mean any any insight into how the ratings are right now? Are people watching because there's nothing else to watch?
0: Yeah, I, I can I can speak to that some. So uh, yeah, so I mean to address your, your your first comment, yes, I mean our show definitely started very slowly. Uh, luckily enough, we found our footing at about the right time and have been up um, year over year every month for I think it's 13 or 14 months now. As far as our current ratings are concerned, what we have found is that our our nine o'clock hour is almost doubling our eight o'clock hour a lot of days, and that's just because people aren't waking up as early. <laughs> people are at home, you know. Like, just, like people generally don't have speaking, to get up. Eight o'clock hour, <laughs> correct. Generally speaking, our eight o'clock hour rates uh, really well and better because that's when people are up and moving. Now. We're sort of stockpiling, like we're sort of loading up guests in the nine o'clock hours. You might notice because that is when you know the most eyeballs are on our show as we lead into first take. So we're doing well. I mean, even though the circumstances could not be more unfortunate, we're still viewing this as an opportunity and and, and as a respite for people who you know don't want to be watching the news because obviously almost everything you watch on the news right now is is pretty depressing.
2: So I know you've been, uh, on Buster Olney's baseball tonight podcast. Uh, h- how did you get involved with that and with Buster and does he give you pretty much free reign when you come on and give the stats? I know I, I love when you come on and you have some great insight or does he give you, um, uh, like a-, a list of things that he wants you to research?
0: So g- generally speaking, the former, uh, Buster and I have, uh, I-, I met Buster very early on when I arrived at ESPN, he would, he would come on Mike and Mike often. And I met him, uh, through that outlet. And, uh, at one point, you know, during, I think it was the 20, 2016 baseball season at memory serves, uh, you know, he had a contributor leave and asked me if I, if I jump on. And I was, you know, I thought pretty rough at first. I was on with Carl Ravitch. He was like a you know polished broadcaster for 30 years, you know, but I made my way through it. And, and now like Buster will essentially give me free reign. Like he'll say, you know, come on and talk about whatever three things you want. So that's what I do. Right now uh Buster's doing these uh interviews with a lot of you know hall of famers and and various people around the game as we're just sort of biding time here until we get news as to when the season has a chance to start and for those interviews i'll do uh, I'll do some background information on the people uh that you know for, for whom he's uh, that he's interviewing uh but generally speaking, it's just whatever happens to strip my fancy that week it's 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 no more or it's no more organized than that. <laughs>
1: That's great, Paul. Is this is this your uh, your dream job? Is this what you wanted to be doing? I know you, you went to school for a, at least this kind of a career. Uh, do you have aspirations to get on air more, or is this kind of where you want to be?
0: So, um, this is my my dream job is to play. <coughs> excuse me, is to play shortstop for the Phillies. So this is not my dream job. Um, and, and after that, my dream job would would be to play second base. If if um, if the skipper doesn't think I have a strong enough arm. Beyond that, I would say that this is about as close as I could possibly get. Um, but I didn't really know that six, seven years ago. I, I, I got an undergrad in communications, uh, because I flunked, uh, flunked out of business school, which ended up being a, uh, a, a good with the fate for me. And then I wound up getting a master's degree in education because I thought I wanted to work, uh, in like, uh, athletic administration. I wanted to be a coach, a teacher, an administrator, et cetera. But I just sort of ran into an ESPN recruiter at, at an event once. And, you know, he just, you know, wouldn't leave me alone. And I don't know why, you know, it clicked, but it clicked. And, um, over the course of time, like you said, I've had the opportunity to sort of build and do more media. Like for, at first, like I was hired as a, you know, behind the scenes researcher, and that was awesome. I was, you know, building graphics for SportsCenter and working with these anchors that I had grown up, you know, my whole life watching, which was a, a pretty remarkable thing when you first get started. But like as you, you know, as you can imagine, you know, the more the more you get it, like the more dopamine you get, the more you want, right? So. <laughs> Everyone has, I think, what I like to say is everyone at ESPN has a little talent in them. We all grew up watching. We all sort of wish we were in front of the camera. Now, I don't know that that will ever be, you know, uh, a big part of my future, but what I do know is that stuff like this, what I'm doing right now, and, you know, the podcast and those kinds of things, uh, you know, the radio hits, et cetera, are, I have genuinely learn to enjoy them and prepare for them in a way and um, what i hope is that you know in addition to just talking really fast you learn a few things when you listen to me you know talk so that's that's like it's been my objective every single day at work when i'm done with my shift that i make our viewer that i make our listener that i make our audience smarter if the answer to that question is yes i think i've done my job well
1: well, I'm a Mets fan, and I got a real problem with Chase Utley, so I can understand if this is our last phone call.
0: <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, Chase Utley, Chase Utley, as you're not surprised to hear, because um, I, I grew up during his prime. It was my favorite Philly. Um, I will maintain to the day that I died that it was a clean slide, at least not, in, not at least not an illegal slide. And I think the reaction to the slide by the, the, the people um, by Joe Torre and the people in Major League Baseball would indicate that was it dirty. Yes but was it illegal? No. So I guess you and I can disagree on that, but that, I mean, and, and look, you got, obviously he's got his own corner down the right field line. He, <laughs> he brutalized you guys for years, but, uh, had I known that you were such a, uh, an artist, a supporter of the Mets and an anti-Chase Utley person, this would have probably changed the,
1: uh, <laughs> changed the approach for me today. All right. Two things. Uh, it broke an un- unwritten rule, which is even worse than breaking an actual rule. And two, I actually saw your trivia interview with Chase Utley. And you were a phenomenal fanboy. So congrats on that. That was phenomenal.
0: I was a phenomenal <laughs> fanboy. Jay thought we played enough second base to know you don't turn your back. to the, I'm sorry. We don't need to get into this. I'm, I, this <laughs> no, no. We, yeah, we'll, yeah, this we'll, is good we'll TV. We'll spend 20 minutes breaking down the play. We'll spend 20 minutes breaking down the play. I'm sorry. <laughs> Open up a can.
1: couple more questions on, uh, on your career path here. So you get there 2014. Mike and Mike is only a couple years from finishing. Did you sense that when you got there? I mean, when did you officially trans- get over to Mike and Mike? Was it even later?
0: Um, I started working on Mike and Mike in the spring of 2015. Uh, <laughs> the reason I started was because um, honestly, no one else wanted to, and that's because no one else wanted to wake up at 1:30 in the morning. At the time, the Mike and Mike shift was 3 a.m. to noon, and I had grown up listening to those guys. Uh, obviously, I was born in 1990, so like they hit the air when I was like 10. So I listened to them growing up, you know, on the, you know, on the way to school, middle school, high school, etc. Um, and So I was familiar with them. Uh, no one else wanted the position. And that was a time like, I I felt like, you know what, I'm pretty new here. Let me just own something. And I realized, you know, within the first couple of weeks doing it, like my stuff is like sticking here. Like I'm getting shout outs on the air because the, the stats I'm providing are, are adding value. You know, they're, they're whipping up nicknames for me. Obviously no one knows me as anything other than my nickname now. And it just sort of clicked. It just sort of worked. When I joined the team, I had no idea, like literally no idea. Um, that Mike and Mike was going to be coming to an end in a couple of years. In fact, you might remember that Mike and Mike was originally supposed to go to a New York city studio years before get up even happened. So like that was, that was that like was all being planned while I was on the show at that time. So honestly, like the stuff that ended up happening was just as much a a surprise to me as it was to everyone else to be totally candid.
1: All right. Last thing I, I, I wonder is this current situ- situation sort of in your wheelhouse to some degree? Because, he, I mean, what you do as sort of a third-party on-air talent is you create content out of nothing. <laughs> your job is to bring a completely different spin or a completely different element, and I love it. I think it's why you and I kind of, kind of uh, touch base originally is we're, we're both kind of coming from the same, the same cut, which is I, I got to be unique in everything I'm doing, and I'm trying to mix, ed- educate somebody but also be interesting. That's got to be more valuable more than ever right now, right, Hembo?
0: Yes, I, I think that you're spot on in saying that because right now the shows, they're having the biggest challenges are the, the shows without uh, creative thinkers, without storytellers. But the thing that I have learned over the course of time, and I, I used to be bad at it. and Now I think I'm like, this, I like to think now I'm better at it, is that you can you can tell a lot of stories through numbers and you don't need games to be happening for us to be doing that right now we're leading up to the NFL draft and every single day we're coming up with a new angle somehow to talk about Tua tunga I have no idea how, <laughs> but generally speaking, the things that our analysts either say on air or text me are things that sort of trigger my information. Like I would have to admit that a majority of the information that you might see that I put out is actually not, the idea isn't sparked by me. Like I, I don't, I don't watch the games. Usually their eyes tell the story and I try to, I view myself as as one in a position to, to support their, their, uh, their opinion with the information, even if it's not my own. And that's something that's been hard to reconcile over the course of time too. But right now it's vital for people to be able to think creatively and to be able to tell stories in ways that they they can't otherwise, because you're not, you're not, you know, reliant on a news cycle the way that you usually can.
1: Have you been hired as a sports trivia guy at all?
0: Hired? No. Um, like parties? I have been. <laughs> oh, that. Yes, that's annoying so like like my uh my in-laws like they're 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 like members of a yacht club here in new jersey um bougie, sounds bougie i know um but all their friends like, like, like to sit out there with their cigars and just like want me to like ask them stuff right and like i, ha- I like i'm being yeah you know, after three stellas to like come up with the trivia for the yankees <laughs> in the 70s and i and i'd rather just jump into the lake um like I like that's I, and that that's actually not the most common thing that I get. The most common thing that I get is like, can you look this up for me? Sure. From like anyone who has ever known uh, known me and can't find something themselves. Like I'm like I'm like a doctor without the useful and like without being important. That's how I would describe myself.
1: <laughs> I, I like it. That seems like something that should be on your gravestone for sure. Um... <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, I'll say, I was supposed to be a fourth generation pharmacist. I got a D in chemistry in high school, so instead I'm doing this nonsense. <laughs>
1: It seems to worked out. Let's get to some real sports. First question: Where does where do you live? I know you're a Phillies fan. Does that mean you're a baseball fan first?
0: I am a baseball fan. Uh, yeah, first, last, and always. I played uh, Division two college baseball. Um, I like I told you it was always my, my dream to play. And uh, at some point, that just obviously you know, the game the game tells everyone at some point that you know it's no longer uh, for you. But I would say that baseball is really the only sport that I truly like enjoy in my to my core to my being like i really enjoy pro football and i'm a huge eagles fan um so like i i, I watch practically every Eagles game and and you know listen to the local radio i do a, i do a you know weekly hit over there in philadelphia so I, I enjoy that uh i'm like a you know like a fringe fan of uh you know of the nba and i enjoy like i enjoy sports like i'm a normal sports fan but baseball is actually really the only sport that i truly love it's, baseball, it's really the only sport i guess maybe other than football on sundays that i and really invest a lot of time in watching
1: Yeah, I'm completely aligned with you there. It's 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 not even close. Uh, That's how far ahead baseball is for me. Uh, I just I found that I have to love football because it pays the bills. Right. And I'm sure I'm sure from an ESPN standpoint, (laughs) Uh, that's the exact same situation. I I mean, it's probably 80 percent of your content over there. So I can understand why you feel the way you do. It's probably diluted at this point for you um let's stick to baseball then uh we've been we've gone back and forth a little bit on twitter and and over the years and every time that i I sort of strike a a chord with things you're doing either in trivia or with your content um we we generally have good back and forth let's just talk about money versus winning yeah because over the past couple of seasons that's sort of been the hot take with a lot of these leagues you know you've had the houston astros who have been way down in payroll with all these international players and these young kids kind of come to the top. Now we can save the discussion of how they got there illegally for a different, a different, uh, podcast. But <laughs> yeah, well, we don't have any allegiances. We can say that. Um, but that's, I mean, that's what we're talking about right? value. That's like our buzzword at spot track pretty much on a, on a weekly basis is we're trying to poke holes in all these big numbers and find value. And the Houston Astros are the perfect example of that. But in your, I mean, you've done your research and you've looked up tons of data for these, uh, these talented ESPN and for your own good. Have you found that teams that go out and spend a boatload in one year or maybe over a three-year span correlates to winning, or is it more so that you got to pick your spots? And if you don't pick your spots, well, you're not going to translate that. Uh, the
0: resounding answer is the latter. I have about 20 years of research here. That's I think that makes that loud and clear. So I went back and I found that since the year 2000, there have been 69 Major League Baseball teams that increased their year over year payroll by at least 30%. I found that to be the sort of the best or easiest threshold for my research. Of those 69 teams, only 28 increased their win total year over year. Six teams posted the exact same record as the year before, and 35 teams decreased their win total so on average those 69 teams improved by a grand total of 0.2 wins per year now there have been there have been some instances in which offseason splurging for lack of a better term has really hit one of these teams was the 08 Rays. they reached the world series the 2007 rockies did the same the 2002 angels won the world series after a big offseason splurge so what 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 that what the data tells me is well First of all, there there are probably a couple reasons why a team would choose to invest a lot of money in free agency year over year. One could obviously be that they overachieved the year before thus drew more fans than they expected and had some more money to spend. And usually that comes from ownership. The other could just generally be like, you know, we're building momentum toward a new stadium or an ownership mandate that, you know what, like we have to, we look, you guys, we're winning next year and I'm giving you the opportunity to spend more money. Whatever. We're sort of seeing that now in San Diego, there are a lot of reasons why that data could present itself the way it does. But I mean, it's pretty clear. Like if you, if you spend a ton of money or at least way more than you did the year before, there is no recent historical uh, indication to give me any reason to believe that you'll be any better the next year.
1: Yeah, we uh, we did a little bit of research here as well, and obviously our numbers align. Uh, we walked down the same path there, and of, of late, the only real, I guess, outlier of late maybe this past decade was the Cubs, right? They pushed hard. After, they were built by kids, so they were cheap for a long time, and they pushed in and grabbed themselves Hayward and Arrieta – or excuse me, not Arrieta, and Leicester – and made a big push and got themselves obviously to the finish line. That's it. You're right. It's such a rare existence where teams can understand that they're going to win the World Series in two years and they have to start paying right now. It's just it's just not the kind of sport you can do that on. There's too many players that that impact the roster, and and, and so forth. Let's let's switch gears a little bit because I love the I love to sort of correlate things to different leagues. In your NFL work, and I realize you probably don't have anything off the top of your head here, but the. To me, it's probably the exact opposite in the NFL. Not that not that paying leads to wins, but the teams you're finding that are paying are definitely not trying to make the push. They, they've already spent. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it's a it's an immediate impact in the NFL. Whereas the top spenders right now are the Browns, and the the Dolphins, and the Jaguars, and I see that every single year in the NFL. Any? Do you think there's any correlation to free agency versus winning in the NFL, or is it a complete anomaly?
0: I think there's a stronger correlation in the NFL. Well, first of all, the NFL just sort of has to be different because it's salary cap driven. Sure. And a lot of these decisions are, are based on like, do I have a rookie quarterback and how much cap, like for example, the dolphins are going nuts just because they have like a hundred million dollars in cap space. So like the circumstances, I think vary a little bit, there are more variables there in the NFL just because you're dealing it, it you know the the salary cap obviously just you know it, it's it's the most important thing here. So um, I think like that should go without saying. I do the, the twenty fifteen Broncos are a team that uh, recently does stand out as one that built a lot and very successfully through free agency. Other teams have done it. I, I think somewhat successfully, I guess. But I, generally speaking, like these decisions often come from places that aren't in charge of evaluating talent. Like yes. I'd like to think that general managers are the ones making these decisions, but we know that we all have our boss. Like everyone has a boss. Everyone, everyone has a boss. And ultimately like the owner of your team is your boss. But if, if you end up making it up, making it up far enough there, like my best guess is that Stephen Ross really wants the Dolphins to be good after being really bad for a while. Right. And that's probably a big reason why they're spending all their money. And it's, it's, and it's very difficult to, to 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 like slow play a building plan without spending money to an owner that's 80 or 85 years old, like you know Mike Yelich did this with the Tigers, like he just kept he spent money on Prince Fielder and on re you know Miguel Cabrera with Dave Dombrowski, and they 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 invested all this money, this useless money in these players because they wanted to win. Ultimately, like sometimes the decision is is taken out of the hands of the people that know best. Do
2: do you see uh, through your research that? spending on pitcher versus hitters with the free agency, uh, stats, uh, correlates one way or the other with with winning.
0: Well, what's, what's they're They're so starkly different, right? Because pitchers are obviously so much more injury prone and the pitchers that are the most injury prone are the ones that are, are older and reaching free agency, obviously. So we've seen recently, uh, it seems players are, in many cases, a lot more inclined to, you know, sign the team friendly extension. Jacob, the ground comes to mind. Aaron Nola comes to mind. There are obviously others, but because, because that is such a volatile position, if I were a pitcher, I would be, uh, I'd be dying to sign the first team team-friendly contract. I could, so long as by signing that piece of paper, i have guarantee that none of my descendants have to work another day in their lives. I mean, generally speaking, you favor, you favor the position player because the volatility is much less so. The performance band is one thing. Like Jason Hayward is a good example because you brought up the Cubs earlier. Jason Hayward was a bad signing, but the performance band there was such that you knew he was at least going to play, is at least going to catch the ball in right field and run the base as well, whereas Jordan Zimmerman, who signed a monster deal with the Tigers, blows out his arm and can't pitch again, and it's totally useless. So, um, the cor- I don't have a good answer to your, to, to your correlation in terms of uh, like a general rule, But I don't think there's any question that a position player is a much more sure thing just because of the injury. Because anytime you're dealing with, uh, you know, sort of a volatility band like that, it makes a heck of a lot more sense to sign someone that you can theoretically expect to play 150 times a year.
1: Yeah, I've done some work on this as well uh, over the past couple of years. And what I find is, and it's maybe a piggyback off what you're saying, Hembo, is it's pitchers are boom boom or bust. Okay, so you're going to have the injuries that set in two, three years into that contract that just blow the thing out and makes it not worth it, but you're going to have your Max Scherzers too. And, you know, potentially your Garrett Coles and things like that, you're going to have major pitching signings that can, can literally translate to eight, nine wins in a season versus Jason Hayward, who I like to say is the contract that broke baseball. I mean, it is, it is literally free agency has not been the same since Jason Hayward signed that contract. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but look at you, you mentioned something interesting and it's, it's true as heck. Players, you know, 20, 21, 22-year-olds are taking crazy team-friendly extensions because $100 million right now is $100 million right now. And the fact that it could be $250 in five years doesn't matter because I want to get paid right now. It's smart. smart. There's a position in football that's going through that right now, and it's going to continue to go through that, and it's the running back. Um, In your opinion, is what we just saw with Christian McCaffrey going to be the norm where I'm three years into my rookie contract, This team is offering me a deal. It's not, it's nowhere near what an Adrian Peterson got eight years ago, but that's, I think we all just agree that that's never going to happen again. So is, is the McCaffrey four-year extension to tack on the end of the rookie deal going to be where we live now?
0: I don't think so. I mean, I mean, I think it'll be where we live once every few years when we get a Christian McCaffrey, but like, I think the position has been so devalued. Like the math is so overwhelmingly clear that honestly, like, the teams that will sign the Christian McCaffrey's are going to be just the teams that have to admit their mistakes three years later. And what you hope is that you front loaded your deal in such a way that you're not gonna to have to pay for it on the back end. Obviously the Rams are going to get slammed by having to to, to release Ty Gurley before they had to, but just a couple numbers to, to illustrate my point a little bit better. So first of all, McCaffrey's numbers like his per game numbers are way better in their losses than their wins. Like, he, like the, the stats, his stats, his accumulated stats to me are no different than someone like Andre Drummond's in the NBA. Like he is a, He's a fantasy football player. I mean, the, the, the value is there in terms of like, yes, he can accrue the yardage and, and that's, that's a good thing. And that's the thing. Like, if I'm his agent, that is, you know, that was the information that I would be presenting during these negotiations, but there's stats that can be accumulated more efficiently elsewhere. So last year, guys, the average pass play in the NFL gained 7.9 yards when the wide receiver or the tight end was targeted. That number 7.9 was 59% more than the average running back touch. That includes <laughs> That includes reception that's rushing and reception fifty nine percent more by guaranteed money as you guys have probably looked up each of the seven highest paid backs in the league last year missed the playoffs and if you just look if you just look at like the recent trends right the Rams cut gurley the Cardinals gave away David Johnson they had to the chargers they let melvin gordon walk the titans tagged Derrick henry the steelers refused to pay Le'Veon bell so I think the Christian McCaffrey and the Ezekiel Elliott, Elliott extensions are are probably I mean they're there are certainly uh, more more uh the exception the fact that they just happened in consecutive years i think is is probably a coincidence and my guess is that the end of those deals won't look very flattering
1: there's no question yeah there, in, in fact especially the zekiel deal which is extremely it's 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 a hat it's a fairly front-loaded deal but the fact that he had to go six years out that's just the jerry jones thing it's going to get ugly in a couple of years there for sure uh I, I put together a little chart here that i want to I throw you away Ambo. 2016, the, the, the starting running backs in 2016, that's four seasons ago, okay? There is one still on that same roster, and it's Elliott. He's the only running back from 2016 wow. to still be on that roster. Nine out of the 32 are active, but some so eight, eight are somewhere else, and then Zeke's still with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, it's just an unbelievable uh, turnover. I, you're just not getting lengthy careers. And, and to back up my point with McCaffrey – the reason that this guy, the, the standout anomaly running back in the league right now, I mean, you, you mentioned the numbers, they stand out. He had to sign early because it's about age 27. That's all that matters to these teams right now. We know you're going to yeah. be productive, but we know that there is a cliff and you're going to fall off it. I don't care if you're the, the best running back in the league or the eighth best running back in the league. Everybody's going to have this cliff. There's just too much data points now to say otherwise. So you better get your money now. You're guaranteed money now. And you better get up to $50 million now because and, and it's not going to happen teams,
0: again. And not only are teams making those decisions financially with the players they already have, but those teams are making those decisions in the draft. So like, like you're not even, a lot of these guys aren't even getting like the, the big, like first round contract that you would have gotten in yesteryear. And, and in the 2010, there were 16 running backs drafted in the first round. In the 2000s, there were, there were 32 the decade before there were 34 and the decade before that, there were 49. And if you look at the the quarterback numbers, they're essentially just crossing like with an X, right? That's like, that's like, that's like, sure. Like the the free agent numbers are great. The extension numbers are are all all good, but teams aren't even prioritizing the position in their draft. Because like I said, they're finding that you can accrue the statistics, like the, the, the 49ers. Um, you know, we re- reached a Super Bowl last year and you know, they're, they're running back, you know, by the end of it, we're on guys. I mean, the, and you can say the same about, same about the chiefs, the like, there's right now we operate in an NFL in which system and scheme matters more than people, at least in terms of the run game. And I, my guess is that that's going to be a trend that continues once in a while. You're going to have these studs that come out of college, like McCaffrey that are going to hit and they're going to be able to pump out yards. But I mean, the last, the last uh, rushing champion to win the Super Bowl was Terrell Davis in 1998. The last team to lead the league in rushing and win the Super Bowl was the 1985 Bears. So, I mean I think the data is overwhelmingly clear and it has, has been sort of developing for quite some time.
1: Yeah, I mean you don't need to look further than last year's draft where many people thought the, the Raiders reached at Josh Jacobs at number 24. That's a 4-year 12 million dollar contract. I <laughs> mean I mean that's how far These guys we're...
0: yeah, these their primes, their primes are in college. Like these guys I... primes are in college. It's one of the reasons why I always argue the team should bring up pitchers as soon as they are close to being ready in the big yes. leagues, because they're Like you're missing their, like, they're shooting their best bullets in, in Biloxi and in Billings. Like, like you want, you want those guys up. You want like these running backs. Like if I was a stud running back, what I would want is, to, is the, the, um, the least uh, abuse as possible. Right. So like if I was awesome as a freshman, like I would be willing to wait two years because those 600 touches that I get are going to be held against me as a rookie? Like that's that's how much uh, the running back the running back age curve has had.
1: So obviously, this hasn't been the case for the quarterbacks. Nothing's more powerful than a, than a rookie contract for a quarterback right now. You mentioned Tua earlier. Let's just finish on this, man. What, what are you hearing? What are the ESPN guys sort of saying collectively? Um, there's got to be so much data coming in. We're in the hot stove term now of you know ten days to go here with, to the draft. There's just a lot being thrown around. Where is your head with Tua? Um, versus where the media sort of wants us all to be.
0: Yeah, he is, he is the ultimate wild card. And it's hard for me being in it. Like, how much of this are we manufacturing and how much, how much of this is legitimate? I thought that before I got to ESPN and I still wonder it now and make sure that I'm doing the best I can to be responsible with all the information we're presenting. But I genuinely believe, because especially because of the you know, circumstances now with the pandemic, that Tua is likely not certainly but likely to be the third quarterback drafted this year behind obviously burrow and justin herbert's just is such a safe prospect i mean he's he is he is what they look like he checks off enough boxes and there are, are very few risks with him and the one thing i think is pro- a, a little bit um off base is that we're, we're treating this to a thing. Like it's a binary, like there are, there are two options for his career and none other, either he's a Hall of fame quarterback, or he's going to be an always heard buff. Like there's a lot of bandwidth in between that. I think he is very likely to, to, to probably hit himself, like, like a lot of players. But the one argument that I'm not willing to buy is somehow that like, this is a huge financial risk. If you're, yeah, I, I agree that if, if it is a, it is a huge medical risk for sure, but it is not a huge, a huge financial risk. I mean, Quinn Williams number three pick in the draft last year, as you know, 32 and a half guaranteed. Obviously, a lot of that comes at signing and you're spreading out that cap over the course of his, you know, his first four years. But like, I view Ryan Tannehill 91 million dollars as, as a big risk. I do the same for Jimmy Garoppolo when they gave him that deal for 74, and the same for Nick Foles when they gave him 50. I mean, the Forest Buckner got fifty-six million guaranteed, and Byron Jones got fifty-four. Like those those, in my opinion, are just as big because like even let's say there's a one in five chance that two actually hits. What you've done is you've created you've created a monster. You've created the most enviable thing in the sport: a, a a star quarterback on a rookie deal. And since 2012, there are six instances of a quarterback starting the Super Bowl on a rookie contract. Mahomes did it, Goff did it, Russell Wilson did it twice, and Joe Flacco and Colin Kaepernick did it too. So as far as I'm concerned, like for example, if Sam hinkey, were were the GM of the Redskins, he would definitely be taking Tua, and he would not care about the existence of Dwayne Haskins because he would be stockpiling assets. The best thing for them to do would be to draft Tua, sit him, and then trade him for two first-round picks next year or something like that. He is, like, he is that valuable a commodity, and, and until he gets hurt in the NFL, he will be viewed as a much more valuable asset than Chase Young or Jeff Okuda or Isaiah Simmons or anyone else because of the potential for him to be a star quarterback and, 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 and getting paid not like uh, not
1: like it. Yes, the last point's the most important. And you're right, even if he's not playing that player on on any kind of rookie contract, and let's say he slips to to nine, I mean we're talking about twenty two million dollars. We just saw this with Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen broke the mold on this. When the Arizona Cardinals decided we could we could get rid of our number ten overall pick a year later and start over again with the number one overall pick. That's when everybody needed to open their eyes to say, "Hey, it's not about money anymore. These rookie contracts are so controlled, and there's so much cost control for five, six years that it simply doesn't matter. We can take, we can shoot our bullets. If we miss, we'll do it again next year." To me, I, I'm with you. I'm with. I think the Lions should do exactly what you just said. I think the Lions should do it this year. Yeah. They should draft them and sit them, and then if they if they can trade Stafford, you trade Stafford. If you can't trade Stafford, you trade Tua.
0: <laughs> bro, bro. If let, let's say let's say one year from now, let's say Tua has, has stood on the sideline with his helmet and has not gone in at all, right? He is one of the 10 most valuable assets in the NFL. Jeff Okuda does not rank in the top 50. He just doesn't, right? That's how this thing works. Like, I understand you're drafting for, a lot of teams Want to draft for need. You want to, you want to fill in for Darius Gleit. You want to add Chase Young so that you can group him with all these star pass rushers in Washington. You want to, you know, you want to take Isaiah Simmons because you know, the Giants' defense was terrible. I get it. But if you're, if you're truly asset compiling and you're building something and you're doing the best that you can, like it's just like any other investment that you would make in the real world. Like I, like I told you, I failed out of business school, so I don't know that much. But I do know that Tua, a year from now or whatever, is going to be an infinitely more valuable asset than almost, than, than, than anyone else that you could draft if he is available.
1: There's no question. I mean, you know the, the the prospects for next year a little bit. Obviously, it's Lawrence and then a couple of kids. But we're not going to have this quarterback yeah. carousel like we had this year. There's not going to be six free agent quarterbacks that can start for you week one available. It's just not going to happen. I mean, he'll be competing maybe with Cam Newton and Andy Dalton again. That's That seems to be where we're headed. It's not going to be Dak. It's not going to be any of those players. So I, I, I'm with you. I think anybody who takes him right now, there's no way it can be a bad move because it's cost control to such to such a big degree. I'm with you.
0: Here's the other thing, too. I'll just add quickly. Of the of the five winning effective quarterbacks, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Big Ben Rivers, and Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger was the only one, mm-hmm. the only one that started a single game as a rookie. What ha- what's happened is that because teams have these guys on these cheap deals, they have been so eager to get the most value out of them that they have eschewed any other option to play quarterback. And a lot of in a lot of cases, I think, ruined these guys in year one or two. In the case of two, I think he's a perfect he's a perfect Example of someone who you could sit, like you said, for a year and groom and look. For let's let's use the Lions as your example. It's, it, it would definitely be easier for them to move him a year from now than, than now, given his contract. It will also be really appealing for any team that gets desperate to trade for Tua. And you can't convince me otherwise. Like I, you, there's no way you can convince me if, if I was a Lions fan. That my my franchise would be better off with that cornerback than it would be with Tua. They're just and I, and I don't and I make myself personally. I don't even believe in the kid, but that's not that's not the point here. That's not the, that's not the conversation we're even having.
1: This was great, man. I appreciate it. This was uh, look any guy who can come in here and bring his own data and bring the numbers like you do on a daily basis. I'm all about it, and I really appreciate all the support you give to the site over the past couple of years. You've been uh, really big in pushing us through and pushing us along a lot.
0: The next time, I'll come with a nice high takeout. Slide a
1: second. <laughs> We're gonna <laughs> leave that alone. Thanks, man. <laughs> a minute, boys. Today's show is also sponsored by Fantasy Pros. While most sports are currently at a standstill, it's never too early to start preparing for your fantasy football draft. And there's no better place to do that than Fantasy Pros with their flagship Draft Wizard product and mock draft simulator. You can customize for any format that you and your friends are about to get into. Run mock drafts in a matter of minutes against realistic opponents and prepare for any scenario you may face when it's time to draft your teams for real. Hopefully we get there soon. Visit fantasypros.com slash spot track dash NFL today. Get a head start on your competition. Again, fantasypros.com slash S P O T R A C dash NFL today. All right, my thanks to Pembo, the hidden wonder, the hidden treasure in ESPN, man, that guy can rattle off some numbers. That is uh that's my kind of human being right there. Scott, I'm going to guess you're going to agree with me.
2: Oh yes, absolutely. I, I was, I could uh, listen to him all day. So we're going to yep.
1: absolutely have to have him back. We'll, uh, we'll make sure we keep things varied. That's the other thing about him. You can go any sport. I mean, you can just, uh, we, that's what we love to do. It's, you know, you get bored yep. going down one, one rabbit hole too many times. So it's awesome to have a guy like that who can bring that much data. All right. You've got some uh, some questions for me, sir.
2: Yeah, let's do. um, We'll we'll start with Hembo on Get Up does a blind resume. So I created a blind (laughs) resume and um, uh, this is baseball related. So we've got player A. This player's played for two teams, both on the East Coast. 276 batting average, 219 home runs. He's earned. $82 82 million dollars thus far Ugh. and he has 300 million left.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: Player B has also played with two teams both on the east coast. Okay. He has a 268 batting average with 308 home runs. His earnings are 89.9 million. Okay. And he has 244 million left.
1: Okay, I know the first one's Harper. Yes. Okay, get, sorry, 244 left. Yes. How many home runs? 308. I know this. And the only reason I know this is because I'm a baseball numbers nerd. This is Miguel Cabrera. Wrong. No.
2: Tell me. Tell <laughs> Stanton. me. Stanton. Stanton.
1: I bet you Mickey's close. No, Mickey's got to have more home runs than that. How many uh, home runs? 308. Man, that's a lot for Stanton. Yeah. That is a lot for a guy who's been hurt. Wow. Let's see. Cabrera
2: has... Four hundred and seventy-seven home runs oh and three fifteen battery average. So,
1: can we edit this out? No. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I got one for two. All right, keep going.
2: All right, so we talked numerous times, and even on today's podcast here about the running back. So, I looked up some numbers. Can from since two thousand eleven, I, I looked up which teams have spent the most cash on running backs.
1: Two thousand eleven.
2: Can you name any of the three? Well,
1: Minnesota with Peterson.
2: That's one of them. Okay. They're the top. Yep, they're the top. Okay.
1: Um,
2: they actually have spent a hundred and five million dollars on running backs since two thousand eleven. Okay.
1: Boy, is it the Patriots? No. E one of them
2: is in the AFC East.
1: It's the Bills? Bills,
2: okay. 88 million. And then yeah. one more.
1: One more. Give me the division. Uh, NFC South. You had to think about it, huh? <laughs> Saints, Bucks. No. Is it the Bucks with Doug Martin there? No, it's too late. Panthers.
2: Panthers, it is. 99.7 right. million.
1: DeAngelo Williams, Jonathan Stewart, yeah.
2: And then let, let's see if you can guess who the lowest was. And it's real low. This team does not pay quarter or pay running backs.
1: Division. Conference. Give me conference.
2: NFC. NFC.
1: The Packers jumped out originally, but I don't know. They, they gave Eddie least some money. Seattle Lynch. Oh. You were right. It is the You're- Packers. It is the Packers. First instinct. All 20, right.
2: 27 million. <laughs> I like it. All right. Uh, let's see. We've got. All right. So, dealing with the draft that we talked about, I looked at every draft since 2000 to see what position has had the highest earning, career earnings per, since per when? draft since 2000. Oh, my goodness. What positions? About well, about seventy-five percent of them have been quarterbacks. Okay. So my question is, out of the quarterbacks that are in this draft, which one do you think will earn the most in their career?
1: In or this, in this draft.
2: In this draft. Oof. Or would you take a non-quarterback to earn the most?
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because Chase Young could be up there at some point, right? I mean, right. If he locks in twenty-seven million dollars in five years. Um. Do I think any of the see? So you got Burrow. Yeah. There's gonna be so Hula. much pressure to to re-sign the number one guy because of where he drafted him. I realize that shouldn't be a thing. Everything we just said with Hembo justifies that it shouldn't matter, right? No, no rookie contract should scare anything. It's, you know, it should. You shouldn't force the hand anymore. But I, I mean, Burrow's the softball answer because right, he's going to a franchise that really can't afford not to keep him around, but. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason that Chase Young couldn't be well up there. But quarterbacks are always going to make more. I mean, the the exponential growth of quarterbacks. I mean, you've done a ton of work on this. The past ten years of quarterback money has just—it's come from W to you know all the way through. It's just—it was already a pretty highly paid position back you know back when Peyton got into the league and things like that. But it's just come so far, and we're 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 months away from forty million a year. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is gonna lock in forty million a year, and if you're saying that, and you're saying that the highest defensive end or you know or or edge defender is is essentially twenty two, and we're not even close. What are we talking about here? That means that, that means the growth over the next five years for a guy like Chase Young is isn't gonna compare to where Joe. If no. Joe Burrow has to reset the market in two thousand twenty seven or whenever right. it's going to be, um, you know, we're going to be up upwards of $50 million a year for a quarterback contract at that point, as long as everything stays on track. Yeah. So I got to see a burrow. It's a, it's a terrible answer, <laughs> but uh, boy, what did you think of the conversation with Tua there?
2: I found it interesting, actually. I mean, we, we've sort of had that conversation to take them, use them as an asset. He expounded upon it even more. And I, I thought it was a great insight.
1: So the, the one thing that has to be said, of course, is that you'd be paying a signing bonus, which is the majority of the money. You would. <laughs> so, would. So if, if you draft to, to a number three overall, I mean, you're talking about, well, like a, like a $22, a 23000000 million signing bonus, maybe even more. I don't mm-hmm. have the numbers in front of me. Um, so the, the, the Lions are number three overall. You're going to pay $23 million for a bonus and then ship them off later? Now, the two first-round getting- picks course. are getting back. Yeah i get it i'm not saying it shouldn't happen i just want to make sure that's on the record that in doing this you'd be paying a substantial amount of that contract in order to make it ridiculously team friendly to ship off and get a ton a ton of first round picks back for but everything we said is right there's just not going to be a quarterback market if you don't get trevor lawrence right you're not going to be looking in the free agent pool for a guy if you've got him sitting on the trade block of course that's going to be that's going to open up a bunch of eyeballs i still think the, the the better move is to trade Stafford, but I'm not sure if that's possible, but I'm not. Yeah. He, no. Hembo, Hembo alluded to it. you know, why are, why is Byron Jones getting 54 million guaranteed and guys are worried about guaranteeing 20 to Isaiah Simmons. Right. So we'll see. Uh, it, I don't want to knock too many contracts here, but it's the is yeah. there. The debt is there and Hembo's got all the data. That's for sure. All right, I got two more for you. Okay. Rapid fire. Let's do it.
2: In honor of the masters this past weekend, that was supposed to have happened. Okay. Which are the top three earners at the Masters? Oh, Two of them be. are gimme's. Two of them are gimmies but we'll see if you can get them. Really? Is it Tiger Phil? Is it that easy? Yeah, Tiger Phil. And then who do you think's third?
1: What's How, how recent is the third?
2: Uh, Recent.
1: Is he a top tenner right now?
2: Some would consider it. He's earned $4.5 million at the Masters. So
1: he had to have won. For, it. Did he win for, it?
2: For comparison, Tiger is at nine and a half. Phil is at eight. And then this one is at four and a half. It's not yet, right?
1: No. No, he didn't. He doesn't have that much success at one Masters yet.
2: Ooh. He's only been there six times. Six times.
1: God, is it Patrick Reed? No. All right, give me the name. Jordan Spieth. Oh, of course. Yeah. Man, he's fallen and off that, the cliff, though. And then for
2: those that want to know, four is Bubba Watson. Yeah. And five is Adam Scott.
1: Yeah, he had a good run. He was supposed to be the next Tiger for a bunch of years there. All right.
2: All right, last one. Which
1: recent rookie contract
2: player, controlled player, do you think will earn the most in the next 10 years? So I've got Hmm. Kyler Kyler Murray, number one pick last year. Zion Williamson, number one pick this year. Pete, Pete Alonzo team
1: control. Sure. You got to throw that in there.
2: Yeah. And Cody Bellinger team controlled or name a person that you think may earn more than.
1: Yeah. Those. No, Bellinger is a good one. So this is over the next 10
2: years. Who do you think would earn the most?
1: Bellinger is a good one. I mean, Mookie Betts could probably be still be on that list. Um, yeah. I tried to go with young, just recent
2: in, in, in a league.
1: Yeah. Cause if, I mean, if Bellinger gets four hundred million, is Zion gonna get there? Is Zion gonna? I don't think Zion gets there. I mean, LeBron's at three hundred. So if we if we inflate that and go, see, I don't. I just don't think he can play long enough. He doesn't seem to be the physical specimen that it takes. Yeah.
2: I I feel the same way. I threw him in because he's the number one overall no, it's pick, good. and he's got the he's got all the uh, cachet right now. But I I don't know if. The physical toll on that body, he's going to be able to last
1: 20 years. All right, so let's just say, let's say the market is 45 million dollars a year for Kyler Murray when he needs a new contract. So that'll be that's 225 million, maybe maybe 175 is fully guaranteed. So you tack on his rookie contract, he's at two. He's not getting to 400. I got to go, Bellinger. I, I got to go, yeah. Bellinger. I think I think Bellinger has a chance to get 400 million dollars. I love Pete, but uh, I haven't seen enough of it. I've seen now two, three years of Bellinger to know that if he wants it, and if he stays in that big LA market, that's probably the number. That might be low. I mean, tr- Trout's <laughs> over 400, I, but you know nobody's Trout yet. But man, that might be it. I think I think it's Bellinger, and I think it's 400 million. So that's my uh, educated guess there. All right. Good stuff, Scott. All right. My thanks to, uh, to Hembo. Uh, please keep up with him at ESPN. He's kind of all over the place. As you mentioned, he's, he's doing sports center hits. He's doing a ton with get up, even from his home in his basement <laughs> as we're all dealing with this crazy time right now, but uh, we're going to definitely going to have him back and we'll make sure we keep the content coming from him. That was great. My thanks to the athletic. My thanks to fantasy pros. Visit both of those websites right now. Keep up with your sports as best as possible. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Cianetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast.